Hi guys, my name's Jason and this is the UK Money Podcast. As the title kind of gives away, on this podcast, I talk about money. I talk about investing, I talk about um, budgeting, I talk about saving, I talk about tax wrappers like pensions and ISAs, basically anything to do with money and anything to do with helping you get ahead financially. That's the kind of stuff that I talk about. Now, I'm a financial planner. But as I always say on the podcast, it's really important to note that nothing on this podcast should be considered financial advice. But hopefully there'll be information here that will um, steer you in the right direction for doing some further research or kind of point you to the kind of things that you should be considering for yourself. So it's been a pretty big week, pretty big day yesterday with the... um, with the budget uh, coming out, um, with that said, pretty big, wasn't a huge amount in there. But on today's podcast, I'm going to be talking, one of the things I'm going to be doing is talking through that budget and having a bit of a, um, giving you my overview of how I see things. So um, like I say, not huge changes um, on the face of it, but there's some kind of um, issues in there that I think would be worth exploring a little bit more. I'm also, I'm pretty excited about this. I've also finally after how many episodes are we? I think this is number 12. Um, I've got someone to leave me a voice message on Instagram. So that is going to be, I am, I'm really excited about that. So I'm going to play that message. It's a really good question. And the question is to do with, well, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. The question is a good one. Um, I am going to spoil it because I'm going to title it. Um, I'm going to put it in the title of the podcast. So um, Lauren has sent me in a question um, and recorded me a question asking about lices versus pensions. And it's actually a great question. So I'm going to answer that one as well. Um, So yeah, in today's episodes, we've got a bit of a budget recap. And we're also going to be talking about um, whether you should be paying into a LISA or whether you should be paying into a pension or kind of the differences between those two. Now, as I said, Lauren has got in touch with me via Instagram, which is a great way to get in touch with me because you've got that little voice memo thing, which I really like. Um, you can also get uh, in touch with me on Twitter. I'm quite um, probably more active on Twitter than I am on Instagram. So if you've got questions, you can hit me up over there. Um, I'm also doing more work on YouTube. So um, over the past, I don't know, couple of months, I've mainly just been um, recording the podcast as I am now and then um putting those videos up on YouTube. So if you listen to this on Spotify or Apple or something like that, there's not been a lot of extra value for you on the YouTube channel because you've already listened to this. So um, I've decided to try and up my game a little bit on YouTube. So I'm going to be doing some more um, shorter videos, some additional content in addition to the podcast. It's still known as the UK Money Podcast. So if you're looking for it, if you've not checked it out on YouTube, it is the UK Money Podcast. Um, but uh, so yesterday, for example, I jumped on and did a quick seven minute video on the very kind of brief overview of the, the key takeaways from the budget. So I'm going to be going into that stuff more detail now. But if you are just looking for kind of that quick hit, um, quick overview, you'll be able to find more content coming up on there as well. So today I am going to be starting with this question that I've got from Lauren. Now bear with me. I've got it up here. I'm just. I'm not going to. Be, this is not going to be um, very high tech. I'm literally just going to hold my phone up to the mic, and hopefully the sound quality isn't too bad. So here we go. This is Lauren's question that she sent through a few days ago. Hey Jason, I've been listening to your podcast today. I really enjoy your content, and I had a question. I totally get why. Investing in a pension is a great idea, especially if you're a higher earner. But what if 
you don't even pay tax, you make that little money. To me, it makes more sense to pay into the LISA because it seems like the benefits are exactly the same as paying into a pension, except I don't have to pay tax on the outcome, even though I'm likely to not have to pay tax on the outcome if my current salary maintains its rate, which I hope it doesn't, but still. So what am I missing? Is a pension, paying into a pension the best idea? Or is paying into the LISA just fine, especially while I'm earning so little? So, like I said, a really good question. And I think it's a really good question because Laura makes the comment there, what am I missing? And actually, she's not missing anything. You know, I think one of the key benefits we talk about or I talk about with pensions is the fact that you get tax relief. So, if you're a basic rate taxpayer or a non-taxpayer, your contributions into your pension scheme that you make from your own money is grossed up based on that basic rate tax relief. So, if you put in... um, 800 pounds and you're a basic rate taxpayer, you get an extra 200 pounds, which represents the 20% you would pay on that full 1,000 pounds. So on the face of it, it looks like you're getting a 20% bonus. It's not quite that, but so on the face of it, you think, right, it gets grossed up by the basic rate tax amount. Now, the lifetime ISA, which is you know mainly what well, has been, uh, it's been created for first home buyers, but the bonus you get on that is 25%. So on the face of it, it looks like you get 20% bonus for pension and 25% for license. So it actually looks like maybe even in the license favor. But it's important to keep in mind that that 20% is grossed up. So if you think about your initial um, your initial 800 pounds example that I just used, you're getting a 200 pound top up on that, um, which is the grossed up amount. So that 200 pounds represents 25% of your actual contribution. So they kind of they talk about it in a slightly different way, but effectively you do get the same benefit um, f- whether you're putting money into a pension or whether you're putting the money into the LISA. Now, as I said, the lifetime ISA was uh, has effectively been set up to give people an incentive or help them out in saving for their first home. So that is the main objective with it. But Lauren has um, astutely kind of realized that actually once you turn 60, you can access the LISA without any penalty. So in a lot of ways, yes, you can use it to buy your first house or save for your first house, but a kind of side um, opportunity with the lifetime ISA is as a retirement planning tool. So there are um, some similarities between the pensions, uh, your pension and a lifetime ISA. Now, there's also some benefits that a lifetime ISA has over the pension. Again, Lauren alludes to it there, is that the main issue you have with a pension or one of the main drawbacks is that you can't get that money out no matter what, pretty much, um, until you hit your nominated retirement age. And at the moment, that's 55. Um, it could be increasing over the next few years. But at the moment, that's age 55. So if you put money into a pension fund when you're 32, unless you are basically on your deathbed, you are not getting that money out until you turn 55. And so that's potentially, um, well, it's one of the things that I definitely make people aware of and, and um, kind of flag up for, for when you're younger is just being mindful of how much you're putting into a pension because you are locking that money away for a very long time, potentially. The lifetime ISA, on the other hand, doesn't have the same restrictions. So you get that bonus on the money. Um, if you take the money out to then purchase your first house, you get to keep it. That's great. Perfect. If, however, you decide you just need to get access to that money for something else, you can still do that. Now, you lose the bonus plus a little bit on top, so there is a little bit of a penalty for doing it, 
but you can still get your money back. And that is a big bonus compared to a pension. So as Lauren says, on the face of it, it kind of looks like a lifetime ISA is going to be a better option than a pension. Um, but there's, I went back to Lauren and answered a question and to kind of share um, what I said to her is that there are definitely some, um, some additional um, points to note with this comparison. And the first one is that what we're talking about here, that the comparison only really works if you're a basic rate taxpayer. And that's because the 25% bonus on the lifetime ISA, as I said, is equivalent to the basic rate tax relief. So the first thing to be aware of is that if you are a higher rate or an additional rate taxpayer, the um, and there's going to be more people that fall into that bracket because of the budget changes, which I will talk about in a bit. But if you're a higher additional rate taxpayer and you pay into a pension, you still get your basic tax relief at source, so that's great, but then you can actually claim the higher and additional rate through a self-assessment tax return. There's no equivalent for a lifetime ISA. So if you're a higher or additional rate taxpayer, you're going to be shortchanging yourself quite significantly um, if you're using a lifetime ISA for retirement planning. So that's the first thing. Granted, that's not going to impact um, as many people. You know, There's a large, large percentage of people out there who are basic rate taxpayers. Um, so the other consideration from my perspective is more of a practical one. Pensions are incredibly widespread. We pretty much all have a pension, especially with auto-enrolment now. Um, if you're working even part-time at a reasonable level of hours, but definitely full-time, you're almost guaranteed to have a pension fund. So that means there is a lot of competition on the, in the market uh, and there's a lot of different um, types of pension fund out there with a lot of different investment options. Lifetime ISAs, on the other hand, are a much more niche um, tax wrapper. So there are there are providers out there that are offering them, obviously. Um, there are investment options that you've got within them if you like to invest in stocks and shares, but it's much more limited than a pension fund. And that's not necessarily going to be a huge issue for people, but I think it's something worth noting is that practically speaking, there's not that level of competition. There's not going to be the same level of choice. And I think that's um, especially important if you have quite um, quite specific ideas on how you'd like to invest your money. So one thing that, that springs out uh, springs to mind is if you're quite keen on green or ethical investment, you know, there's probably going to be a lot less option for you in a lifetime ISA than there would be in a pension. The last kind of or the one of the other major points to, to consider. Um, and again, for, for probably for most people listening to this podcast, it's not really a pressing concern, but it is important, is inheritance tax. So a pension fund is outside of your estate for inheritance tax purposes. So um, any if you build up over time £100,000 um, in a pension fund and you're um, over the inheritance tax threshold, then doesn't matter, fully tax-free to your estate. So there's no inheritance tax to pay. If, on the other hand, you've built up £100,000 in a lifetime ISA and you pass away and you are over the inheritance tax threshold, you will pay 40% inheritance tax on that hundred grand. So that's £40,000 in extra tax you would pay by um, by having it in a lifetime ISA rather than a pension fund. So like I say, probably not pressing uh, or kind of immediate issue for a lot of people listening to this, but again, something to be aware of. Um one other point I did forget to mention actually is that the other the other benefit the lifetime ISA has is that the money you take out is tax free, especially if you're over sixty and there's no penalty. You, any if you withdraw from that, it is going to be tax free, whereas the money in your pension fund obviously is 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 um, 
liable for income tax. Still have your personal allowance and stuff, but potentially you would pay income tax. So what's the end result with this? So the end result for me is that like anything really, there's not going to be one account or one wrapper that you should put all of your spare cash into. You know, this is just another really good example of why having your finger in a lot of different pies is really, really important. So, you know, if, you've, if you're eligible for a lifetime ISA, it's definitely worth considering um, utilizing that. And as, of, as I continue to say, if you, um, uh, you know, saving for your retirement via a pension is a very good way to do that. So thank you very much, Lauren, for that question. I think it's a really good one. I think it's one that probably a lot of other people have as well. Um, and hopefully that has answered that for, for people listening to this. So if you have a question that Oh, that was beautiful. I really enjoyed that. You know, it feels like it's a bit of a call-in show. So if you have a question, um, please get in touch with me. Uh, you can do it via email if you prefer or, or by text. That's fine. So keep those questions coming in. But um, if you are happy to jump on and do those voice memos on, on Instagram, that's great. They might actually even do them on Twitter as well. Um, so if, if you have another way that you can get in touch with me, let me just have a look. No, maybe they don't. Let's see. No, doesn't look like they do them on Twitter. So uh, yeah, Instagram voice memos works really well. So thanks very much, Lauren. Um, the next thing I'm going to be talking about is the budget. So Rishi Sunak gave his um, gave his uh, speech to the Commons yesterday and uh, basically outlined some of the changes or some of the initiatives that he um, he's bringing about over the next 12 months. And I think the overarching kind of theme that I've taken from it and from a lot of my colleagues and people that I've spoken to um, is that it's kind of a, it's a bit of a holding pattern. You know, I think there's not been um, any drastic changes other than the, the corporations tax, which isn't really relevant probably for, for most people listening. Um, corporations tax is, is getting, um, is jumping up from 25, from 19, sorry, to 25%. Um, but other than that, there's not been any kind of explicit changes to, to tax rates. And I think, um, it's to be expected in a lot of ways. I think, you know, there's, there's been a lot of talk about the amount of money that the coronavirus uh, pandemic has cost the government. There's obviously been a huge amount of um, fiscal support that's gone into propping up the economy and propping up jobs and helping people through this. And the budget outlined a number of additional um, additional spending measures that they've got that's going to be coming up over the next 12 months. There's a lot of money being pumped out there, a lot of things being promised, a lot of thing, a lot of, um, a lot of, spending that's being that's being um, put out there. So the, the question obviously is how are we going to pay for this? And I think, you know, it, it's, it makes sense that he, Rishi Sunak hasn't made sweeping changes or what appear to be sweeping changes in this budget. You know, I think we've all gone through a bit of a hell of a year. You know, we've, we've had all these lockdowns. We've had pe- a huge number of people who've unfortunately passed away. Um, kids have been out of school. You know, we all know what the years had we've had, and it's not been great. So I think if on the back of that he had come out and said, "By the way, guys, you know, we're also going to be bumping up the amount of tax you pay. Your take home pay is going to go down," he wouldn't have been a very popular a popular man. So I think um, I can understand it from a political point of view why he's done that. With that said, there have been some changes. So the main, um, from a tax point of view, the main thing that he has done is rather than increasing uh, the rates of tax on really anything other than corporations tax, he has frozen the thresholds. So he's frozen the thresholds for the personal allowance, for the higher um, high rate tax 
threshold for capital gains tax, for the life pensions lifetime allowance, and inheritance tax as well. So on the face of it, that might look like a pretty good deal. Um, you know, it means that tax rates haven't gone up. And I think um, the other point to note on this is that he's committed that they are going to be frozen until 2026. So that's quite a long time. Um, and effectively what he's doing there is he's raising the amount of tax revenue that the government can take without having to explicitly raise tax rates. And I'll explain why that is. So let's say just for ease of ease of explanation, let's say you are earning the um, exactly the same as the personal allowance. So you have no other forms of income, but you're earning £12,500 from a job, um, from a part-time job. At the moment, as it stands, you will not be paying any tax because your your income is in line with that personal allowance, which means the whole amount is free of tax. Next year, the cost of living goes up like it does pretty much every year. So the um, the cost of the groceries you buy, the cost, the cost of the bills that you pay, the cost of everything will go up each year. And so as part of the annual review process that we go through in our jobs, um, we are always trying to make sure that we are getting paid more money Number one, because we want to advance our careers and advance um, our lifestyles. But number two, because if we don't get at least some level of pay rise, we're actually getting a pay cut in real terms. You know, if inflation, if the cost of the things we buy goes up by 2% and we don't get a pay rise, the amount that we can buy with our money that we're getting paid goes down by 2%. So keeping our incomes in pace with inflation, at least in pace at pace with inflation, is really, really important. So let's say you're in that you're in that situation. Um, you are earning that twelve and a half thousand pounds. You're not paying any tax uh, this year. Next year, or the year after, and the year after, you get those pay rises. And those pay rises may come from you negotiating pay rises, like I said, or it may come from you know just the the natural increases in the what do they call it, national living wage or the minimum wage or whatever. So over time, you're going to be getting paid slowly more and more money in pound terms but not in real terms because if if that inflation is at 2% and your income goes up by 2% for the next five years, at the end of that, you'll be getting paid more than £12,500, but the amount of stuff you can buy, the amount of purchasing power that income has would be the same as the year that we first started looking at it. And that's where that different com- difference comes in. So this year, you're getting paid the personal allowance and you're not paying any tax. In five years' time, your income is gone up with inflation, hopefully, most people's would, maybe not exactly in pace with inflation, but it will have gone up, but yet you're still only getting that £12,500 tax-free. So actually, you've gone from being a non-taxpayer to somebody who is actually paying income tax. And that is effectively where he's hoping to get the increased level of income to the government. And it's the same on the high rate band as well. So people that were all were only paying basic rate tax because those limits, um, those thresholds have frozen, there'll be more people that end up getting pushed into that high rate tax band. So that's how it's working for income tax and it's working exactly the same for capital gains tax. So the capital gains tax threshold is staying the same. So again, with no... um, in, in real terms, people will be paying more capital gains tax. Um, inheritance tax, same thing. People will be paying more inheritance tax in real terms. And the pensions lifetime allowance as well. And the pension lifetime allowance is a little bit of a different one. Um, like I was saying in the last section, it's potentially not as relevant for people um, listening to this podcast. But effectively, once you get over, don't have the exact figure, it's just over a million pounds in your pension fund, 
if you start to draw down from that, um, you pay potentially an additional level of tax on top of your income tax. Um, and when you turn 75, you get a, a potentially you can get an, a, a lifetime allowance tax charge. So basically, if you're getting over a million quid in your pension fund, there's potentially going to be some additional tax to pay. And again, that's freezing. So you can imagine um, if you had 900,000 in your pension fund now, you might think it's smooth sailing and you're quite a bit under that that limit and the limit's going to increase over the next few years. But actually, if you have a couple of good years of, of investment returns, you know, 10%, that's that's an extra 90 grand that's um, added on and you're almost at the million pound already. So um, again, there's going to be more people that are going to be caught um, by the pensions lifetime allowance by CGT and by IHT. So the terminology that's being used is that it's a stealth tax rather than a wealth tax. And I think... Um, it's a pretty good political move because um, it, I saw uh, Rishi Sunak on the BBC um, this morning um, explaining that no one's take-home pay will go down as a result of this budget, and he can claim that because in pound terms he is right. The tax rates, the tax limits aren't changing, but over the next few years um, he will be able to um, pull in quite a bit more income without people really noticing it so much. There's been some figures thrown around. Uh, one figure that I saw that... Uh, uh, yesterday on um, was that the expected income from that's about £10 billion a year for the government. So um, it's just something to be aware of and I think it kind of flows really um, – it's an interesting point because inflation is something that it does get forgotten about. And when you're talking about investment portfolios, you know, we're all very well well aware of risk when it comes to volatility, you know, investing in shares, the level of risk, the amount the money can go up and down. But the area of risk we don't often, it's not as obvious, is inflation. You know, if you don't invest your money, if you have all your money sitting in cash, earning half a percent in interest, and inflation is at two or two and a half percent, you're basically guaranteed to be losing money in real terms every single year. Inflation really is a silent killer to to incomes um, and to 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 investments as well. So, um, really, more than ever, it just to me just highlights the 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 point that you know you need to be trying to grow your income and grow your wealth in excess of inflation um, because that's the only way that you're going to be able to be getting wealthier in real terms. Now, there were um, some other. Bits and pieces on there. Um, uh, what was the other interest? Other two interesting ones. So, um, the stamp duty holiday has been extended um, to extended to the thirtieth of June. So there's no stamp duty up to five hundred thousand um, extended to thirtieth of June, and then it goes down to two hundred fifty thousand until the end of September. Um, which is still double the usual nil rate ban for stamp duty. So if you're looking to buy a house and you missed the deadline for for that that um, exemption, that's obviously good news for you. Um, he talked about the idea of wanting to turn generation rent into generation buy. Not sure. I, I think uh, I'm not sure. I'm convinced that that necessarily solves that problem. Uh, Tony actually commented on my YouTube video uh, this morning and said that, that one of the key issues there is that actually. Um, it's not just for first home buyers, and you know that that's a really good point. Is that you know there's probably people who are looking to upsize their houses, who maybe maybe are doing okay already, um, who are going to get be getting that that bonus there as well. So it's not um, it's not purely targeted towards first home buyers. So I don't know whether 
Um, don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. There's been quite a bit of criticism around that. Um, there's also the uh, criticism around that, I should say, in conjunction with the 95% mortgages. So that's the other thing that came out in, in regards to housing is that Rishi Sunak has said that um, the government's going to provide a guarantee to lenders should they uh, for 95% mortgages. So effectively, it just means that the um, the lenders, the banks are going to be more likely to offer mortgages at 95%, um, which helps you if you have a low deposit. But again, is that just going to mean that there's more demand for property, which pushes up the, pr- pushes up the prices, which then just compounds the problem? I don't know. We'll see. Um, and there's also a lot of commentary about the fact that those 95% mortgages were pretty horrendously expensive last time something similar was done. So I'm not a property expert, so it will be remain to be seen how those play out, but they haven't been universally kind of applauded, I guess. Um, from a more financial planning investment perspective, something a little bit more in my wheelhouse, which I think is interesting, was um, discussion around the green investment initiatives. And there was quite a lot on this. You know, there's the Green Investment Bank. It's going to be based out of Leeds. But for me and for my clients personally, um, the more interesting part was this idea of a green retail savings product. And if you look in the detail of the Red Book, um, it's confirmed in there that it's going to be offered through national savings. So if you're not aware of national savings and investments, it's effectively like the government savings accounts. So the government offers um, different forms of saving accounts. It includes premium bonds, which is kind of like a savings lottery hybrid you may have heard of. Um, but effectively, it's a way for them to raise money um, uh, and provide a, a secure kind of deposit their invest deposit saving kind of vehicle for investors. And they're going to be offering a product through there, which is going to be specifically for green investment. So this is going to be a national savings investment product that will um, be earmarked for investment in green ventures. So I'm thinking things like wind farms, subsidies for, um, for uh, da, 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 what's the word I'm looking for, green or ethical or you know environmentally friendly businesses. Um, there's not been a lot of detail uh, announced about that. For me, the interesting bit is going to be uh, how are they going to attract investment on that? Because if you are aware of national savings investment and investments interest rates, they are incredibly low at the moment. You know, basically zero premium bonds, I think is paying 1%, which again, isn't really a savings account, but um, income bonds, for example, are paying 0.01% at the moment. So I will be interested to see is um, whether they try and attract investors off the basis of providing a decent interest rate, or are they just going to be relying on people wanting to have their money sitting in something green. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, and kind of as a, as a flow on from that, there's also information in the Red Book about uh, green gilts, which are similar, but they are more of a fixed interest type investment. And I've talked about this in previous podcasts. Um, effectively, a gilt is a, a government government debt, basically. So again, the, the government is going to be issuing um, debt, which makes sense. They they need a lot of money at the moment. But again, the debt, uh, the money that they raise from that is going to be earmarked for uh, green investment. So this is an interesting one, especially for, you know, I think things like pension funds, um, stocks and shares, ISAs. One, um, one kind of black spot, is that the right terminology? One one, it's not the right terminology. One issue with green investing is that it's very hard to find 
green investment in the in the fixed interest space. Um, so this is something that's quite unique, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the demand for this is really quite high because there's a lot of talk about um, ESG ethical green investment at the moment, and there, I think there's probably going to be quite a lot of demand for it. So I'm going to be really interested to see the the National Savings and Investment product. Apparently, is going to be available as just said summer summer 2021. So we shouldn't have to wait too long to get some info on that. Um, and then the Green Guild, I believe it said that there was some inf- further information being published in June. So it's on the way, it's coming, and it will be really interesting to see. So for me, they're kind of the, the the key points on there. You know, obviously there's a lot of extra stuff in there for businesses and, and business rates, and there's some stuff about VAT and all sorts. But, you know, for, for personal finance, I think for me, they're the key issues. The key ones are the um, freezing of in- interest tax uh, sorry, income tax or all taxes really, um, which is you know an income tax rise in in all but uh, all but name, uh, and then the the green investments um, and the mortgage, the some of those tweaks to the to the mortgage um, industry. Uh, issues as well. The stamp duty um, are quite interesting ones and probably relevant for people listening to this. So I hope that's been useful. It is just, like I say, a very whistle-stop overview. If you have any further questions about anything in the budget, like I say, please do get in touch. via any of the different social media channels that I'm on. Um, and like I said, if you're a listener, a regular listener to the podcast and you've not subscribed to the YouTube channel, I get it because it, you know there's no point just listening to it twice, but I am going to be starting to put more content out there that is more short form, um, talks about specific issue, um, and kind of covers it in a really snappy, snappy format. So for example, um, Either today or tomorrow, I'm going to be recording a, a short video on green guilt, and I'm just going to be going into that a little bit more detail, explaining what it actually is, what they actually are, and how they might be implemented by the government. So if you're looking for a little bit more information or different bits and pieces like that, then please do head over to the YouTube channel and subscribe to that. The other thing that I would really like to do on that is start doing a few live streams as well. So for example, yesterday when the budget was on, um, I think it would have been really good to um, really good to do a live stream while he was, while Rishi Sunak was um, presenting uh, and giving my thoughts kind of on the fly as well. So um, one of the things on that is, is I'd like to be able to do that in a, in a mobile fashion, um, not just sat at my computer depending on the issues. So I need a thousand subscribers for that. So if you could subscribe to the channel, if you're not, that would be really helpful. Um, just a reminder as well, I am also doing the UK Money Talk room on Clubhouse to uh, on Fridays at 12. So jumping on there in my lunch break. If you've not got an invite to Clubhouse and you've got an iPhone, it's iPhone only at the moment, then please get in touch with me. I do have a few invites available and it'll be great to see people jumping on there to ask me questions as well. So that is the episode for today, guys. I really appreciate you being with me. Um, and as I said, please do get in touch if there's anything that you'd like to see on the podcast. Hi guys, I just wanted to jump in really quickly to let you know about my free weekly newsletter, also called The Hedge. 
Every week, I comb through all the social feeds and news websites to cut through the noise and bring you the latest news and ideas in investing, business, entrepreneurship, and personal development. As with all content from The Hedge, the aim is to help you grow your wealth in a way that allows you to be your real, authentic self. If you'd like to sign up, you can find the link, as well as the links to all our other content, at thehedge.io.